Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. I was a pretty good kid uh, growing up. Um, didn't really come from a Christian home, but um, you know, pretty solid kid. You know, did quote unquote the right things. I was popular in high school. Uh, I was also nice, which generally you don't really see that. One of the more popular kids being nice at the same time. But I had a big group of friends, hung out with everybody, uh, made sure to kind of incorporate other folks. Uh, I was the party guy. So if I was at the party, I would try to take the party to another level. Like I was just like, obnoxious in in some um, things so maybe if you ask some people who hung out with me they're like you weren't as nice as you remember but I thought I was pretty cool now I was not a Christian I I thought you know Christians were morons Um, I thought the idea of Jesus was silly it made no sense to me whatsoever and I would love to debate you guys most of you guys have already heard my story but I would love to debate with people who were Christians and I would say, you know, I'm not a slave to your fundamentalist ideas. You know, I, I loved having those conversations. And whenever I would say things like that, it would drive my best friend, my future wife, insane. Because I would do whatever I could to just get a rise out of her, and i just mess with her. And it was pretty terrible. Like, I, I, you know, just, it didn't make any sense to me, this idea of Jesus. I didn't need a crutch to get through the day, because I was pretty cool. I did my thing. I was good. Well, I met Christ through my wife. We got married, and I was 21 years old, and met Christ 11 years ago. And through meeting him, he has tweaked my entire worldview. He pointed out my ridiculousness, showed me the need for him, showed me the sin in my life, and said, this is where you're incredibly busted, and you're not nearly who you think you are. And I've not called you to be that way. This is what I've called you to do. And then slowly but surely, we've gotten on that track 11 years in now. I share that with you because when I was saved by Christ, all my criticisms of the church and God's people didn't magically go away. I didn't all of a sudden think that Christians were smart. I still thought a lot of the things that we believe were kind of silly. The thing that was different was I under, started to understand the love of the Savior who saved me. That overshadowed it all. It overshadowed all of the weird relationship dynamics. Under, it overshadowed the waking up on Sunday mornings and actually going to a church building, which, you know, for those of you guys that maybe haven't walked with Jesus as long, you know that's a big deal to give up a Sunday morning. You really want to sleep in. That's like your, you know, your time. But the love that Jesus showed me overshadowed it all. That's what changed it. Me meeting Christ and realizing that his oasis was actually satisfying. It was enough. I didn't need all of this other stuff. That's what we're going to talk about today. The moment when Christ goes from being an interesting idea to my Savior. He's he's no longer just an ideal. He's no longer just a teacher from a long time ago. Now I believe that what he said is true, that he's the God of the universe. He came down, lived and died, and was resurrected to repair his creation, to redeem us. That's a big moment. The biggest moment in any of our lives. Where we literally go from 
dead to alive. Scripture says. Spiritually, you're dead if you don't know Christ. So our key principle is that, we talked about Oasis, our key principle is that the Oasis is recognized once its waters are found to satisfy. Remember what we had talked about, this idea of an Oasis, a fertile spot that was actually life-giving. And the Oasis, meaning Jesus, is recognized, meaning we realize who He is when we see that the water that He gives is satisfying. When it doesn't fall short like everything else in our lives do. Whenever we try to make something else to be the God of our life, it always fails. It never works. Now, we've covered the context, and many of you have been around for that, but some haven't. So we're going to quickly go through that. Remember what the Israelite people were looking for. They have heard the Messianic prophecies since Genesis 3. The beginning of all creation, there was the fall of man, and then God said, this is how I will redeem man in Genesis chapter 3. It's there. So they were expecting, the Israelite people, right, because remember, they're under Roman rule. They're expecting a soldier that would unite the tribes of Israel. We're thinking Superman, and not the Henry Cavill Superman, like, a, like an awesome Superman, right, that was going to come down and was going to save them, and he was going to save them against the Romans. He would reign forever. This would be an everlasting kingdom. The idea was based on an understandable interpretation of Scripture. Remember, we talked about this. We're not going to sit here and bash them because if you look through Scripture, you can see how they missed it. They weren't ignorant. They just didn't get it. They didn't get who they thought Messiah would be. Here's all your cups of salt water. Do you see them? All of them. You have all of these different messianic figures. And remember, like we said last week, there was even one in the 1700s. Because the Jewish people who have not accepted Christ still believe that the Messiah is to come. The Messiah is still not here. So over and over and over again, you had this messianic figure come and say, I'm going to be, I'm it. I'm the son of God. I will lead us out of our bondage. And then they're killed. And then the revolt's put down. And it doesn't add up. It's not satisfying at all. It turns out to be salt water. And as you saw Cam, he's up there with just the grossest look on his face. And he's being polite. He didn't want to spit it out, but it was bad. He was... That's, that's where they found themselves. That's what was happening when Jesus shows up. So let's cover some background from what we did the last two weeks. Jesus has been brought before the Sanhedrin. Remember, that's the governing council of the Jewish people. And he's tried for calling himself God. That's their problem. You said you were the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. If you were the Messiah, you would have come into Jerusalem. You would have rustled up an army and we would have overthrown the Romans. That didn't happen. So you're not the Messiah. They took him before the Sanhedrin. They found him guilty. They're not going to kill him. So they take him before Pilate, demanding that he be crucified. If you remember what they said to Pilate was that, he was starting an insurrection. He was going to lead an insurrection against the Romans. The very thing they wanted him to do, they claimed he was doing. Pilate, after much reluctance, he concedes and he orders the crucifixion. We studied that last week in John chapter 19. Christ's death brings much confusion to his disciples. They're distraught and they're unsure about what to do next. Imagine you're this follower of Jesus. You've walked with him for over three years. You believe that he is the son of God, and then he's dead. Now what? What are you going to do now? This oasis is just another mirage in your mind. It's another failure, and you were duped. 
That's where they find themselves in the beginning of our reading. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had yet reached the tomb also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. We're going to begin in these first 10 verses. And remember, we're talking about that moment when Jesus goes from being a cool idea or even a confrontational idea or, or something that upsets you to your Savior. And the first thing we notice is the evidence principle. It's that no amount of evidence will change the mind of the unbeliever. No one is argued into a relationship with Christ. Check out what happens here. The disciples were told he would be killed and then rise, but when the body was gone, they thought he was taken. Like, this is so crazy to me. So Mary Magdalene, you have, just before the Passover, the Sabbath, this is now the third day she goes to the tomb. It's still dark. Just put yourself in that scene. She's there, and she sees a stone rolled away. If you go to Israel today, you can actually still see this. I've seen this myself. They, they have the, these stones that are literally circular. They're, they're rolled in front of a cave in the tomb. You're just driving down the road, and you see these like ancient circular stones. It's pretty cool. So she sees the stone that was in front of the tomb of Christ, and it's rolled away. And, of course, she kind of freaks out. Jesus has said to them over and over and over again, I am to be killed and I will rise again. Look back at Matthew 16. He has just gone through this with them. 
the body is, is he's not there. And it, it doesn't occur to her, based on what we have here, that that's what happened. It's that the body is taken. Someone stole his body. So what does she do? She runs for backup. She goes to get the boys, right? She runs and she grabs Peter and John. Now here's, it's, this is, if, if anyone says that the Bible isn't true, just look at this. This is so good. So she runs and she gets John and she gets Peter. And when it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. Remember, John before, the, the cross before, Jesus said, look at your mother, right? John, John was real tight with Christ. So John's writing this and he literally says, she came and got us and I ran faster than Peter. Do you see it? He's writing down the story of the redemption of the world, and he throws in the topic of like, and, and I'm faster than Peter. Just, just to make sure we're on the same page, we went to the tomb, and that's important, and that's what this is all about, but Peter knows I'm faster than him. It's crazy, right? Like, if you were going to make up a story, you feel like you would just cut out that ridiculous human moment in it. But it's not. It's not. It's right there. And they show up, John first, right? John walks up, sees, and what he says is, and the disciple believed. What it, what it means by he believed, he believed what Mary had said, that the body was gone. The body's no longer there. So then Peter shows up. Peter actually walks in, and what does he find? He finds the cloth folded up, the face cloth folded up and set aside. Now, again, we're not going to try to criticize these guys too much, but it is kind of funny. If you're showing up, Jesus told you he's going to be killed. He told you he was going to rise again. This is the third day. You're in the tomb. You think someone stole his body, but you also think they took the time to fold up the clothes? Right? Isn't that kind of silly? Like, if you were going to steal a body, you just kind of take the whole thing, you would think. But no, they took the time to fold up all the laundry, and it doesn't occur to them. They're just distraught, because remember where these guys were at. They had literally tasted salt water again, again a mirage. And now the one who we thought was Messiah isn't Messiah, and now someone stole his body. It's like the problems are just piling up. So then it says, then the disciples went back to their homes. They just walked away. Have you ever watched any of those crime shows like Law and Order? Or old school, like uh, Murder She Wrote. Anybody watch Murder She Wrote? Okay, I used to watch that with my grandma. If Angela Lansbury shows up in your town, somebody's getting killed, right? That's just how it works. If that lady shows up in your town, because she was always going somewhere, and then someone died in this small town. So I would have like a customs agent outside of the border saying, No, Angela Lansbury here, because we want everybody to live. It was crazy. Sorry, that was a complete side point. But in those shows, Within the first 20 minutes of those shows, you've got, you have an interview with the person who will end up being the killer. And you have pretty much all the evidence you need. It's right there. Occasionally they'll throw something in at the last minute and kind of twist it on you. But almost all the evidence is already there. But we sit back and then at the 50th minute of the show, we go, oh, that's who did it. <laughs> Why is that? It's because the evidence doesn't matter to us. We're focusing on the things like the relationships of the cast and whatever draws our attention away at whatever point, whatever shiny object pulls us away. We had the same, same situation happen with Jesus. 
We can't, we can't believe something's happening when all of the evidence for Christ's life, death, and resurrection is all historically verifiable. We have accounts outside of Scripture that Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time, was crucified, and then we have historical accounts of people seeing him after his resurrection. The evidence is there. But for those of you hearing my voice right now that do not know who Jesus is, you've not accepted it, it that didn't change it in your mind. No one's argued into a relationship with God. No one hears all the facts and says, yeah. It just doesn't happen. I was tried to be argued into a relationship with God. I've tried to argue people into having a relationship with God. It's not how it works. You don't one day go, oh, okay, now I get all the evidence. So yeah, Jesus is, is God. That's, that, it just doesn't happen. The problem is we're looking at all the other stuff in our lives that keeps us looking away from what matters most. When we had all the information we needed at the 20-minute mark of the show. If you hear nothing else, know that the God of the universe loves you. He led a sinless life. He allowed himself to be killed for you, and he was raised from the dead to show that the payment is finished. If you hear nothing else, hear that. And what he says is that if you would acknowledge what he has done, he will save you by grace through faith. Undeserved favor of grace, faith in the work that he has done, not what you have done. It's nothing that we have done. But again, there's no arguing into it. The oasis is there to be seen just look at the evidence. It's all right there. Brings us to our next point, which I call the Q&A principle. You'll see this in verses 11 through 18. So now the, the environment is, is the same, but now we have Peter and John back at home. Mary's still there near the tomb, and she's just weeping. She's inconsolable. And the guys left her there. Put yourself in, in their place here. They're so hurt that they just leave her there weeping. And then she's by herself there just, just weeping. And then angels say to her, why are you weeping? And then you have this back and forth with her and Christ. Christ does not hide from those seeking. He welcomes them. Mary asked where Jesus was and he revealed himself to her. Ask him and he'll reveal himself to you. He'll do it. You have this back and forth where the angels say, and then she says, I'm upset because they took his body. And then Jesus asks the same question, and she doesn't even recognize him. She's so distraught. And her response is, just tell me where you've taken him, and I'll, I'll handle it. Just, just tell me where he is. I'll go get him. Picture you're this woman right now in probably the worst moment of your life and all you want to do is be able to control something. All you want to do is to be able to do something. Just tell me where the body is. I'll go get him. And Jesus calls her name. Mary. Scripture says that Jesus' sheep know his voice. And when she said that, her response was, it's you, Jesus, it's you. And she runs up and clings to him. 
just embracing him with all that is in her, tears coming down her eyes. And Jesus says, the work's not done. Go get the guys. They need to hear this too. You ever, you ever know that person, maybe you work with them, that they come up with an idea or a plan and then they, they bring it up to you and then you start asking questions about it? And then as you're asking questions, it just frustrates them. They don't, you know, and sometimes that can just like irritate people. Like they'll say, hey, here's my idea. And then you start to ask questions about the idea. And what it does is it highlights things they haven't thought of. So therefore they get frustrated and they respond. And, you know, sometimes it can cause a little bit of this. Jesus isn't like that. We have this idea that if we're going to question God... He's just going to get so mad that he's going to strike us down with a bolt of lightning. When, when Lot, or, or, um, when, yeah, when, whenever God is questioned, he'll reveal himself to you. It'll be direct. If you are not sure what God is doing in your life or in the world, just ask him. Stop, stop going around in the dark like that's okay. She actually asked Jesus, where, where is he? And he said, I'm here. I know that a good chunk of my life, I thought that there was a chance that Jesus was real, but I was so scared to ask that question because I didn't want him to be real. I wanted to be the king of my own life. I wanted to do my own thing, and I didn't want an answer. Maybe there's someone that's like that now. Maybe that's where you're at. You don't want to ask him because you're afraid he's going to answer. Don't think that you have another 10 years, another 5 years, another 2 weeks. You're not promised anything. And here's the other side of that. I was 21 years old. When I was about 11 or 12, I had an inclination that God was real. I was 21 when I accepted Christ. A great regret of my life is what God could have been doing in my life from years 12 through 20. And that's something that's been a mistake. Don't let that regret keep in. Approach God. Ask Him. Remember that part of, the, of recognizing that the oasis is real is actually taking a drink. It's, it's actually saying, Jesus, calling out to Him. Now we're moving on to, to section 2. This is verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, then they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. In this second section, you now have, we're moving away from the tomb. Mary has gone back to the disciples and she has told him that Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. And they're huddled up in fear together, not sure what the next steps are. That brings us to the peace principle. Now, not peace like that, but a peace that surpasses all understanding. A relationship with the risen Christ brings peace to the believer. Peace is the opposite of fear. Do you see that? These guys were afraid. They were freaked out. They had no idea what to do. In their minds, they had backed a resurrect. They, they had backed an insurrection, and the insurrection failed. And what did that mean? What did that mean? Louder. Death. Thank you. Absolutely. That meant death. So now they're huddled up, worried about what's going to happen, and Jesus shows up. How amazing is that? The disciples went from a place of anxiety and fear to a place of peace and understanding of what God was doing. And the difference between peace and understanding and fear and anxiety is his presence. That's the difference. He shows up. They see him for who he really is. You are the risen Savior. You are the real Messiah, the refreshing water, the everlasting life. You are what God has promised since the very beginning. And he says, peace be with you. Now, here's where we could get really kind of ridiculous and say that following Jesus means everything's great and there's no problems ever. That's not true at all. It's not true at all. What peace means in regards to following Christ is knowing that no matter what, he's in control. And if you were to die today, you went from being dead and having to pay for your own sin to now being in front of Christ. And knowing that he has paid for your sin and you live eternally with him in heaven. That's the difference. That's peace. Doesn't mean your bills are paid. Doesn't mean that relationship that maybe you've taken a lot of, uh, a lot of the brunt of. Or maybe you're the one who's been the problem in that relationship. Coming to Christ doesn't mean that relationship is all of a sudden fixed. What it does mean is now you have the benefit of the Savior and the Holy Spirit guiding your actions from this moment forward. But it doesn't change what's happened up until this point. Then notice, after he said, peace be with you, and they were refreshed, he said he would be sending them like God had sent him. They felt at ease because God was in control, even though moments before they didn't think he was. They literally went from, this world is chaos and we have no idea what's going on to, oh wait, God's in control. Do you see it? It's so powerful. Now, God offers you peace and security, but have you accepted it? If you have, how is that empowering your life? Well, what's, what does that look like in your life? What is the peace of knowing God is in control and God has saved you? How has that changed your Monday? How has it changed your Tuesday? How has it changed your relationship with that person? How have you been different based off of Him? Not you, 
Him. He's the one who changes us. The oasis' water satisfies, satisfies even the weariest traveler. Even the most busted person is saved by the oasis of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what you've done. What it matters is what He's done. Last principle. Verse 24 through 29. I call this the late to the party principle. Now, here's where you could just start bashing on Thomas. But we're not about that. We're not about to do that. Okay, Most will not accept Christ based on others' experiences. They require meeting Christ themselves. Thomas wasn't around for the first meeting, but by God's grace, he was around for the second. Okay, So check this out. You're Thomas. You happen to go out for bread, or whatever it was, right? Thomas had to go home to deal with this. Whatever he was doing, he wasn't there when Jesus shows up, and they had this amazing moment. Then he shows up, and, he, and they're like, you missed it, man. <laughs> Jesus was just here. You missed it. You showed up late to the party, and now, yeah, Jesus is risen. This is incredible. And Thomas is like, whoa, I don't know. I don't really, I, I won't buy that until I see it. And here's where we can jump on Thomas and say he needed to see Christ. But guess what? Mary had told the disciples before that Jesus was risen. Did that change how they were acting a few verses ago? No. They were still just as fearful, just in the room, freaked out just as much. And then they got to see Christ. So we're not going to bag on Thomas for showing up at the wrong time. But then he, he comes and he says, I, I won't believe it until I see him. It's not a doubting Thomas, like where that phrase has come from. It's a doubting creation. It's us saying, you know what? I don't really believe that Jesus died and was resurrected. I don't really buy that. I can buy that he's a teacher. I can buy that he was smart and led some guys a long time ago. But I can't really buy that he was risen from the dead. Not until I see it. And then Christ shows up. Who here has raised teenagers? Right? Okay, a couple hands. Okay, I have not done that yet. But I've been on the other side of it not too terribly long ago. But it's getting longer the more I, the more I think about this, right? I can kind of understand that dynamic a little bit. When, when you were raising a teenager and you said, hey, you should do this, don't do this, how did they respond generally? <laughs> yeah, right? It was like, you know what? Uh, appreciate it, mom and dad, but you know what? I got this. I'll be all right. The problem is too often we want to do it on our own, and we're not just going to bag on teenagers either because I was one of those. And here's the weird thing, and parents, you may or may not realize this. We really thought we knew better. It wasn't just being disrespectful to you. We really thought our ideas were better. Guys, do you really think your ideas are better when uh, Mr. Tyler and Ms. Heather tell you to do something? It's not that you're just trying to be jerks. You're like, no, no, no. I appreciate your thought process on this, but you know what? I got this. Right? Sometimes we just have to go through it. We just have to have the problems show up. Sometimes Christ has to just stand in front of us and say, here I am. And he'll do that. You seek Christ. You call out to God. He will reveal himself to you. He has paid for your sin. The reason that you were able to take the oxygen that just went into your lungs, and then your lungs through your heart were able to pump out that blood to every 
arm and leg that we have just in that last moment just a second ago was because he said it was okay. He is in control of all. He is the God creator of the universe. He said, you can breathe now. This is not some scare tactic to get you to you know, surrender your life to Jesus. Quite frankly, if, if I could do that, I would do that. Because I'd rather you have a life with Christ if it took scaring you into doing it. But that doesn't work. No, you're not going to get argued in to knowing who Jesus is. But he will reveal himself to you. If you actually seek the Lord, he will reveal himself to you. And what he says to Thomas is, blessed are you because you have seen. Blessed are those who will believe and not see. You know who he's talking about? You. Me. Us. He can see the entire thing. He created it all. Other stories about how satisfying the oasis is don't satisfy our thirst. No one's ever come up to you and been, oh, look what Jesus did, did in my life. It's so incredible. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you didn't know Jesus at the time, that didn't save you. Someone else's experiences did not bring you into a relationship with Christ. It was him revealing himself to you. All that to be said, now, why do you care? We've studied his death. We've studied his resurrection. Why do you care? Because God planned since the beginning the redemption of his creation through his son. You have the opportunity to accept Christ's gift of salvation through his sacrifice. You have that opportunity now. Others' experiences with Christ cannot save you. You must accept that gift for yourself. Your mom and dad's salvation experience does not save you. Your grandparents don't save you. You approaching the God of the universe and acknowledging what he has done, his work saves you. Finally, for the believers in the room, you are called by him to reach your communities. Did you see what he said? I am now going to send you like God has sent me. The you is us. That's who he's talking about. Remember the key principle. Oasis is recognized once its waters are found to satisfy. That's when. That's when, that's when it goes from Jesus just being an interesting idea or maybe a silly idea, something that you just won't even acknowledge, to your Savior when you find that his waters satisfy. And they do. In closing, verse 30 and 31 read this way. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, writing this book, said this is why it's written. This is why I've written this. This is why this account needed to be documented for the person who's in Ocala, Florida in 2016 needing to know who Jesus is. It was written for them and those in the garden and those in the room and those who lived in Jerusalem, Judea, throughout the world why it's here. John took the satisfaction that he received from the true oasis, Jesus Christ, and he followed him for the rest of his life. The living water powered him to introduce the world to its Savior. He would go through many a trial due to the mission Christ sent him on, as have many of us. 
John wrote this gospel so that the people would see Jesus as he, as he really is. A life-altering oasis in the desert of life, not simply another mirage that would fail to live up to expectations. Jesus is satisfactory. He is enough. He's not the thing that won't satisfy or won't hold true. Church, what do you do with that information this morning? It's up to you. Make no mistake, the God of the universe loves you and has paid for not only your sins, but those of the entire world. He has called you out of death and into life to be a part of His story, not yours, His story. He's called you from death to life for that. He's proclaiming Himself to all creation, and you are a part of that. Your sin has been paid for. Every other sin is paid for. Not a scare tactic to get you to accept Jesus. Simply the truth that you need so desperately to hear and understand. It's not enough just to hear it. Think through these truths. Is he who he says he is? Because if he is, he's the king of my life. I drank from that living water 11 years ago, and my life was changed forever. If you haven't, it's your turn now. Drink the cup that satisfies. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.